0: Hello and welcome to the JNMP podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hyten and I'm joined today for this month's edition by Dr. Peter Pressman who's a neurologist from Denver, Colorado and we're going to be talking about his work which was conducted at the University of California, San Francisco and Berkeley campuses looking at observing conversational laughter in frontotemporal dementia. So Peter thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I'm so glad to be here.
0: So we're going to be talking about your paper, as I just described, um, which particularly looks, obviously, at laughter in a specific type of dementia, frontotemporal. Before we get on to the dementia side of things, I wondered if we could talk about laughter. Um, In particular, what is the social purpose of laughter?
1: So the funny thing about laughter, if you will, is... um... It's often uh, not directed at anything particularly funny when we are laughing in everyday conversation. We may laugh uh, after saying something like, well, I have to go now, or something similarly banal. So this led some people to put together a theory of laughter. It's a kind of recognition of what they have termed a benign social transgression. So we violate a social expectation, a social norm, but not in a particularly serious way. So laughter allows us to kind of mend that transgression. We recognize it occurred, but it makes it okay, and it lets our relationship continue or sometimes can make it stronger.
0: Okay, and there are the different types of, so it's, I mean, obviously the social purpose there is um, not so much about how funny the thing was that, created the laughter, but actually about, the, you know, the meaning behind the laughter itself, as you just described. So um, maybe that's one of the things
1: that we kind of find funny, is we have an expectation and um, it's not met, though it's not particularly disappointing. So we kind of, uh, we laugh about it. We, we write it off, so to speak. And we make sure that everybody knows it's okay. And uh, our social bonds are strengthened by this. For the purposes of this paper, we actually considered two main contexts of social laughter. So the first is laughter at yourself. This is often part of a kind of embarrassment response. If we do something that's a little silly, we're a little embarrassed, we may giggle or try to prompt others to laugh with us so that we feel better about the silliness that we just created. This takes a recognition that we violated one of these social norms, and we'd like others to join us in making that okay. And then the second type of laughter is uh, when we laugh with or at our conversational partner. This means we recognize that they have violated some expectation or social norm, uh, but we're okay with it. We wanna let them know that we're, we're on the same page. We understand. This schematic that we used may lack a little bit of nuance, but nevertheless, it did allow us to make some accurate predictions about how neurodegenerative diseases can disrupt laughter in conversation.
0: And following on from that, I mean, your paper obviously is about certain types of dementia, specifically frontotemporal dementia. So why do you think conversational laughter, particularly that sort of self versus other laughter, might be disrupted in this type of dementia?
1: Well, as you said, I'm I'm particularly interested in dementias that interfere with normal social functioning, such as the behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia. Frontotemporal dementia is actually a term that encompasses several different subtypes. The behavioral variant particularly impacts how a person interacts with others, someone who's been loving and empathetic, maybe become cold or uncaring. Someone who's normally reserved may become impulsive or rash. Here we have this pervasive social signal, laughter. Almost everybody's doing this all the time without even thinking about it. And we have this disease that fundamentally disrupts social interaction. It would have been strange to me if these two things didn't somehow relate.
0: And what did your study look at and what did it find in particular with, with that in mind?
1: Well, to go into that, I'm going to have to talk a little bit about some of the other forms of dementia that we looked at. So we also looked at the right temporal variant of frontotemporal dementia. This is a group that has been suspected to lack social semantics. Their social interaction is also impaired, but for uh, a theoretically different reason. Their concept of social norms and behaviors is fundamentally altered and limited. Imagine a very selective form of Alzheimer's disease, except rather than forgetting what just happened earlier in the day or yesterday, you forget uh, what is socially expected or proper. So we predicted that this group would laugh less than healthy controls in everyday conversations because they wouldn't ever be able to recognize that any social norm was being violated either by themselves or other people. Those with other forms of frontotemporal dementia, like the kind of more widely known behavioral variant, BVFTD, have been shown to lack a typical embarrassment response of which laughter is typically a part. I mentioned earlier that when we laugh at ourselves, that's part of that embarrassment response. So we predicted that they might laugh less at themselves than a healthy control might in conversation. So those were our two main hypotheses. We also investigated other forms of dementia. We looked at early onset Alzheimer's disease, which often has a behavioral component, but's really pretty heterogeneous, and two forms of primary progressive aphasia, the semantic variant, which is associated with left temporal lobe atrophy, and the non-fluent agrammatic variant of primary progressive aphasia, which is associated with left frontal atrophy. The way that the experiment was designed was in the labs of Dr. Robert Levinson at University of California, Berkeley, we recorded conversations between a caregiver and a patient with one of these neurodegenerative diseases. Then with the help of some very dedicated research assistants such as Lila Murphy and others, we labeled who was speaking and laughing at particular times. So this allowed us to investigate both the amount of laughter And of particular importance, how that laughter related in time to someone's own speech and the speech of their partner. So what we found was that patients with the behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia, as expected, did laugh less compared to controls, generally. This was also true of early onset Alzheimer's disease and the right temporal variant of frontotemporal dementia. The largest effect, though, was found for this right temporal variant, which was in accordance with our hypothesis, because we think that they lack the ability to detect when a social transgression has taken place. Patients with a behavioral variant laughed proportionately less in relation to their own vocalizations compared to controls. So we also predicted this as we thought that they would lack that normal embarrassment response. And then we had a surprise finding, which was that those with the non-fluent variant, of primary progressive aphasia, actually laughed more than controls did in relation to others' speech. So in other words, they seemed to think that their conversational partner was unusually funny. This was a bit of a surprise because this is a group that is often described as being relatively behaviorally normal. But when we looked into the literature further, we did find that there are some behavioral differences in this group. Another potential explanation is that because their speech is so impaired, they're relying on laughter at uh, and with their companion as another way of kind of forging this social connection and bond that goes beyond words.
0: So using another sort of social cue, I suppose, to respond in conversation.
1: Right. So it's another way of saying, I I hear what you're saying and I, I want to establish this relationship, but it doesn't rely on the language and speech, which in this group is so devastated
0: i was just wondering and thinking about that and thinking about the different variants of the frontotemporal dementias there and the different responses that your group found in terms of the conversational laughter. Has anyone looked at the sort of neurobiology of that and, and looking at the, the perhaps disrupted networks or mechanisms um, going on a sort of anatomical level, or is that, is that next step? And so I'm getting too ahead of myself.
1: Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And so one of our regrets is that we weren't able to correlate this with neuroanatomy. This may be because there's so much individual variation in laughter behavior. However, we did base our hypothesis with neuroanatomy in mind. So, for example, the temporal lobes uh, have been correlated with this semantic knowledge perhaps more linguistic on the left and more social on the right. That's a topic of some debate, but that's what led to this prediction that with the right temporal atrophy seen in the right temporal variant of frontotemporal dementia, we would see less laughter generally because they would have this loss of semantic knowledge. They wouldn't know when a transgression had even occurred. The behavioral variant of frontotemporal dementia is more associated with orbitofrontal cortical loss. This can result in a wide range of different behaviors. It's also associated with loss in the anterior cingulate and in the insula. And people have looked at the role of the anterior cingulate, uh, Virginia Sturm, for example, correlated that with this typical embarrassment response and for that reason we could say well we think that this is likely to be compromised in bvftd and that they'll laugh less in relation to their own speech in everyday conversation
0: and thinking about the actual tool itself in terms of measuring someone's laughter in conversation is that a tool that could be used potentially diagnostically or more in a clinical setting or again am i getting ahead of myself
1: well, our hope is to move towards something diagnostic. I think further work would need to be done first. As I mentioned before, these while these patterns are suggestive at a group level, we've also seen a widespread of individual behavior, both in healthy controls and in patients with dementia. For example, while collectively we see a trend for people with BVFTD to laugh less at themselves, uh, we've... Also, seen some people with BVFTD who just laugh much more than controls generally and seemingly at random. What might be more useful diagnostically would be to measure how laughter and laughter behavior changes over time. So, if there was a way to detect that, perhaps over subsequent clinical visits or maybe just over home recordings, if they were agreeable to that, that might be more meaningful information. I think a lot of that could be done in a semi-automated fashion. Laughter has a very characteristic acoustic signal, which I think could be detected with relative ease automatically.
0: What about sort of fake laughter in terms of, I suppose, that sort of put on laughter for social convention? That I remember reading a, looking at a TED Talk once with Sophie Scott, and she was talking about fake laughter and, and sort of the social purpose of that. Is that something that comes into play here, or is it, is it genuine laughter?
1: That would be a very interesting question, and people have actually looked at this. So there has been some research done into the acoustic properties of sincere versus more forced or uh, perhaps even polite laughter. We did not look at that, but I think it would be an interesting next question to see how those things compared in our neurodegenerative groups.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I suppose as well, because, I mean, as you said, polite laughter, social conventional laughter indicates a level of, sort of social awareness and, and mechanisms behind that, that you are deliberately laughing to be polite, which may be disruptive in some of those more frontotemporal dementias. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining me here on the JNNP. I really appreciate your time.
1: It's really been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: So that was Dr. Peter Pressman. who's a neurologist from Denver, Colorado. Um, And we were talking about his recent paper that was published in the JNNP along with fellow co-authors. And you can download it from jnnp.bmj.com.